Hi everyone, this is Charles Morse. Welcome back to Cloudbreak. We've arrived at the final chapter of part one of Cloudbreak. After this episode, I'll be heading back to the writing desk to put flesh on the bones of part two. I appreciate the patience of those of you who have been sticking with the story in this old-timey serial format. I know many of you can resonate with the difficulty of carving out time for creative projects like this one in the midst of a pandemic with small children at home. That being said, Cloudbreak Part 2 will find its way to your feed in the not-too-distant future. Until then, feel free to reach out with any comments, reflections, or questions about Cloudbreak or about Into the Woods in general. You can reach me at charlesinthewoods at gmail.com. That's Charles in the Woods, all lowercase, all words together, at gmail.com. Thank you so much for supporting this endeavor through your listenership, and I hope you enjoy the following chapter. Cloudbreak, Chapter 5, Descent. Peter struggled to compose himself as Orion took a final circuit around the whale from 200 feet. He leaned over his right leg and unfastened the clasps of the case that held the harpoon. He had only seen the weapon once before when he was younger than Anna was now. His father had showed it to him when Peter pressed him about what was in the long, strange-looking case at the bottom of his saddle. His father had opened the case quickly and signed, It's a barbaric weapon, son. I hope you never have to use it. Peter felt for the handle at the midway point of the long shaft and pressed the release clip. The harpoon was surprisingly light, and he experimented for a minute trying to find a comfortable hand position for throwing. He would only have one opportunity, and he somehow had to launch the harpoon with enough force to penetrate through the whale's thick skin and strike its heart. Peter was lithe and athletic, but months of hunger had weakened him. He would need to use a free fall to give the harpoon the velocity necessary for the task. Orion would have no time to pull up, so they would have to dive into the water together. This was a notoriously risky maneuver occasionally used by the old whaling teams. But Peter had never attempted anything like it. He had never even been in the great ocean before. Peter pulsed the plan to Orion, who began to ascend. Peter kept his eye on the whale, looking increasingly small below. He could see a dark patch just below the harpoon's entry point that he figured must be a pool of blood obscuring the brilliant green of the whale's body. Peter tried to recall a diagram of a whale's anatomy from a book he had read avidly as a child, and he felt fairly certain that the dark spot was roughly where he should aim his harpoon. Only now did Peter take a moment to more closely regard the weapon he held so regretfully in his right hand. The base of the harpoon was connected to a spool of gossamer-thin rope that shimmered like gold in the sunlight. 
The rope was a true marvel of innovation. Its incredible tensile strength and brilliant color having earned it the nickname God's Thread by the whale hunters of old. The barbs at the business end of the harpoon were concealed and sprang out upon impact. Peter shuddered to think about the cumulative human thought and experimentation that had gone into the design of this terrible weapon. He brought his hand down to the middle of the shaft, the textured handle that allowed the thrower a secure grip even while flying at great speeds. Peter saw that there was a pattern engraved with a small raised circle at the top of the handle. Bringing the handle closer, he was stunned when he recognized the pattern as the same curious design on one side of the stone medallion he wore around his neck. A stylized tree with a sprawling canopy and extensive roots. At the same instant, an image flashed before Peter's eyes. It was his grandfather, and he seemed to be walking on the surface of the water. Shaken by the sight of the engraving and the strange and unexpected image of his grandfather, Peter signed to himself, Keep it together, Peter. Keep it together. It's the worst thing you will ever do, but you know it has to be done. Orion was now half a mile above the water, and Peter looked down at the bright green outline of the whale far below. Okay, Orion, take us in about 15 feet away from her. I'll need to release the harpoon about 100 feet above the surface so I have time to brace before impact. You'll have to keep your legs tucked in underwater to make sure they don't get tangled in the rope. He paused before adding, I love you, old boy. I was going to say I hope we make it through this. Part of me hopes that we don't. The bird emitted a short, high-pitched call before once again plummeting towards the great ocean. Sound behaves very differently in the open air than it does below water. Estelle started at the strange, high-pitched noise, yet her exquisitely acute hearing could not ascertain where it was originating from. Even through the darkly tinted visor of her helmet, the brightness of the sky was excruciating. She felt as if her eyes were embers burning in their sockets. Just moments before, she had completely forgotten separate self, feeling utterly at one with the whale, with the ocean, and the sky. The strange cry wrenched her from that deep sense of unity, and she suddenly and uncharacteristically felt disoriented, alone, and afraid. She tried to use her arms to push slightly away from the whale and reorient. Her muscles had never worked against the full force of gravity, and the effort only deepened her confusion when, after attempting to push off against the whale, she simply collapsed back upon its flank. Heart racing, she moved all of her limbs around frantically, when the thought suddenly and shockingly occurred to her, I must be above the surface. Peter gripped the horn of the saddle with his left hand and cocked his right arm in preparation for throwing the harpoon. The brilliant green of the whale and the slate blue of the sea seemed to be rushing up to meet him. He trained his focus on the dark spot on the animal's flank. Suddenly, the image of his grandfather returned, this time just the handsome face with the long hooked nose and the dark eyes staring straight at him. Superimposed on his forehead was the curious symbol 
from the medallion and the harpoon. Then the face dissolved to reveal another male face with unmistakable resemblances, the same dark eyes and high cheekbones, the same symbol on the forehead. Then this face dissolved to reveal another and another and another, always with the same dark eyes, the same serious yet compassionate expression. The faces now appeared and disappeared with dizzying rapidity until once again he saw his grandfather, this time riding atop a whale and brandishing a harpoon. The apparition turned to him, lifted his glove hand and signed, Now! Everything happened in an instant. Upon reading the command, Peter snapped back to the present and heaved the harpoon with all his might at the small dark spot on the whale's flank. Only now he was so close to the animal that he could see that the spot was not blood at all, but some sort of human figure in a dark suit flailing its limbs about. In the split second before he hit the water and the harpoon found its mark, Peter caught a flash of a young woman's face obscured behind a tinted helmet, gazing at him with strange, beautiful, unseeing eyes. Then he and the great albatross disappeared into the great ocean. Cloudbreak is written and performed by me, Charles Morse, and was created in collaboration with Elena Russell.